Johnson himself, Cloak and Dagger kind of snuck out of nowhere. From its selling social commentary to the strong worlds at the center of the show, and to the complexity and the maturity of all its cast members, both parents and teenagers, Cloak and Dagger was a surprise hit for most people, and it was on Freeform, or the new name for ABC Family. <laughs> and so, so Cloak and Dagger is Marvel's 11th series TV series and focuses on those two teens, um, Tyrone Johnson and Tandy Bowen, um, who both share a common um, childhood strategy. Um, and they are sort of connected by this and... <clears throat> yeah, they're sort of connected by this tragedy in order to um, sort of propel themselves forward into a... This is sort of like a new beginning for them. And through that shared bond, they help each other grow, um, even no matter how much they don't want to. Um, Cloak and Dagger was surprisingly refreshing in many senses, and obviously no TV show is perfect, but it really balances this fine line between sort of an interesting deviation from the norm um, that brings forward and sparks a lot of interesting ideas, not just about storytelling and the social issues it addresses, but just um, greater overall issues on the themes it presents. Um, Additionally, it also trails a line of being, quite frankly, a show that perfectly fits in Freeform's lineup. Take that remark as you will. Um, Marvel News Desk's own Rhiannon perfectly fit um, sort of cloak and dagger into sort of like a sentence when she mentioned in her review, um, Runaways meets Legion. It's really um, <clears throat> a, new, a, a new addition in Marvel's sort of teen-centric um, slate of show that they seem to be trying to develop while being as sort of wacky and sort of not being afraid to go outside of the box and really explore um, the whole playground and story elements it's been given with. Clogan Dagger aims to transcend, in short, transcend genres, transcend the MCU, um, transcend these boxes and classifications that people try to label it as, and even really just transcend the show itself. Um, today we're going to talk about if it does, it actually does that, and how well it did. This is AP Marvel's hot take of Cloak and Dagger. I'm Izzy, as always, with Chris. Hey, yeah, hey what's up? <laughs> I'm here. Sorry, I, I literally, um, I, 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 we were supposed to do this at 8 p.m., and I woke up uh, from a nap at like 8.05 p.m. with, with text. I was like, hey, you ready? And I was like, oh, oh, no. But yeah, here, I'm, I'm here. It's Chris. Hi. <laughs> it's... <laughs> That was enjoyable. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Um, and today we have um, Sabrina. Hello. Hey. Um, Sabrina. That was very <laughs> high pitched. Um, Sabrina is going to be a new co-teacher for this class that we mentioned. Um, uh, like at the student talk class. Um, at uh, the student talk yep, Marvel class. Yep. At um, yep. At the university we all went to. Um, Sabrina, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure, why not? Hey everyone, I am a senior linguistics major. Well, I'm going to be a senior in this coming fall, so I'm a senior linguistics major and a film minor at Carnegie Mellon. And as Izzy said, I'm going to be teaching the Marvel Student Talk course this year. And I'm really excited and also kind of nervous, but the thing that I'm most excited for is obviously the fun, because this is just the best way 
to nerd out and like put all my energy into something that's exciting while so it kind of feels like I'm taking a break from academics which is great um and I've been into film for a really long time but I would say that I got into like superhero stuff um because of my older brother he's about five ish to six years older than me it's like five and nine months so it's basically six um (laughs) but he influenced me a lot in terms of comics and superheroes and action films so he's really the reason why i'm so heavily invested in the marvel mm-hmm. community this is like we so we, we've like met through chat before but this is our first time talking to each other and i think your first impression was like opening this video call and it's me like shoving my dinner in my face <laughs> uh which is um, quality but yeah i'm uh yeah we're really happy to have you yes. here i mean uh izzy do you know that this is Episode ten of AP Marvel. Whew. Ooh, that's yeah, a big that's whew, that's crazy. That is a big number. And what better to celebrate episode ten than a hot, hot, hot? Take. Ah, it's scalding hot. Um, ah, burns. This finale was um, by the time this comes out a week ago. Yeah. So truly, first hand access. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. Um, so just to open up the floor, um, I guess we'll go around the proverbial online room <laughs> and just sort of talk about like your general thoughts, um, critiques in the show, um, just to sort of start up the conversation. Um, so I've mentioned that, um, in the intro that Cloak and Dagger is really like out of the box. Like you'll see in Rianne's article like that really Freeform didn't really know how to market this show. <laughs> um, so did that really give you any um, sort of early expectations or initial thoughts when you watch a show or when you're thinking about it at all? And yeah, I guess we'll start with um, uh, who wants to go first? Yeah. Uh, I remember when that first trailer came out, like, I think it was like over a year ago at this point, like that trailer came out early mm-hmm. and people had very, yeah. uh, I saw very mixed reactions, like, people who really dug it, people who were like, oh, what is this teen drama shit? Um, personally, I thought the, uh, the cinematography and the camera world was really nice for, you know, this basic cable, uh, <laughs> show, uh, but I, I could not tell you, even from the second trailer, just, like, what this was about, um, except that, there was a black guy and a white girl, and they uh, can do weird thing with their with their hands, and they're confused, and I'm also confused, um, having not being familiar with the comics. But uh, I was intrigued to say the least. Uh, to say the least, um, the actual show was uh, kind of a, a an up and down journey for me because there were times where I was really into it, sometimes where I just wanted it to keep moving along. Uh, but I found the whole concept of um, just like the parallels and the duality between the two interesting because it it um, it it registered through the way the uh, show would tell the story by by having these two separate plot lines uh, during most episodes. Um, like each like Tandy and Tyrone have their own bad guys. They have their own parents issues. Um, a lot of mirroring, a lot of contrasting, um, and then, like, every once in a while, they would kind of meet up and kind of compare notes and give advice on what to do for each other, uh, which I I found those parts to be the most compelling than the actual individual storylines, just, like, the, uh, the evolving dynamic between the two. 
Um, but I, and there was that one episode that was just the two of them uh, in that guy's head, like Ivan, Ivan Hess. Hess. Thing was just, yeah, so I thought good. That was, that was yeah, really fascinating. that was my favorite. Yeah. Uh, besides that, uh, some other notes include. Um, I don't know the um, the music <laughs> in the show. For some reason, I just kept noticing. <laughs> I kept I kept hearing all these songs they chose, and I'm like, "Is this a real song? <laughs> like, did they like go to some like free royalty website or something like that?" And they just like uh, because I don't know. Not saying the music was bad, but they all sounded like very generic, and I was like, "This seems to be a common thing with." Um, not only like young adult shows, but I think Inhumans and Runaways had like weird, really, really weird song choices <laughs> that were clearly chosen because they're cheap. But uh, anyway, I'm straying far from the point. I thought Cloak and Dagger was um was unique in a way that made me kept watching, even though there were sometimes um I wasn't really into what was happening and. Uh, I, I assume you guys will talk about it more, but this show, in terms of uh, tackling certain subjects, was not subtle whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. I will get into that. Um, yeah. Um, well, for me, I feel like, in terms of the marketing, I wasn't really sure um, what to expect at all. My brother was just the one who was like, oh my god, they're doing Cloak and Dagger, and that's going to be really interesting, because it's like, the teens and how they're affected. And I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> a, that's a really cool, um, interesting take, you know, like, of seeing how um, other parts of the world are being affected by the actions that we're seeing strictly, like, in the MCU. So I'm always, I'm always like, really blown away by things that are done like that, because it just really proves how expansive the world is and how it, how how expansive it can be. Um, in terms of the pilot, I really, really liked it. And it was the reason why I wanted to watch more. And I feel like, I don't know how they, how they optioned this project in terms of, you know, <clears throat> it was a pilot and then, and then they greenlit it and then gave them X amount of episodes. That's probably not how it worked. Cause like Disney, they already knew that it was going to be good or whatever. But, like, if I had watched that pilot and I was in a boardroom, I would say absolutely greenlight this show. It's, it looks like it's going to be fantastic. Because I was really appreciative of how they characterized Tyrone and Tandy off the bat. My major gripe is the, is the inconsistency with that as that went on. I felt like Tandy and Tyrone weren't as consistent as they could have been. Um, and I felt like in terms of the darkness, you know, marrying that idea of, um, what is it like the cross between Legion and, um, runaways and runaways. runaways. Yeah. That's such an interesting comparison because like, I feel like it tried to be a little quirky and like a little weird, but I feel like it came off as really cheesy and (laughs) I didn't really, um, understand it or maybe like appreciate the delivery as much. Um, but I absolutely adored the pilot, and I felt like, even though the tone was a little bit inconsistent at times throughout the entire season, that it was a pretty, like, it was a pretty decent start for, um, for another cable teen TV show. Yeah, one thing to say about the, uh, Legion Runaways comparison is that, um, like, Legion, Legion delves into surrealism all the time, while Mm -hmm. Cloak and Dagger delves into 
obvious metaphor is obvious. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Izzy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, there was... Fair, I think you put it best, like, the slavivality, like, you can see, like, in our notes, um, I put in all caps, all the heavy <laughs> symbolism, dear <laughs> lord. <laughs> it was just every, and, like, I appreciate that at first, from, like, the black and white, to sort of the, how, sort of, how Tandy fell, but, like, sort of Tandy fell from, like, sort of her, like, you know, sheltered life into this life of, like, almost in crime, and then, like, Tyrone sort of moved up with his family to become, like, better, like, he's a prep school basketball star boy um but he's still doing like those inner turmoils and i definitely appreciated that first not the literary like just sort of nuggets you could pull from the show i think it would be it's really fascinating to explore right um there was i feel like there is like there was this one portion i think it's the i want to say it's the ninth episode where um the priest um can see, it can see like the through line through the episode is the priest talking about like what makes a hero um <laughs> yeah. and the hero's arc which like definitely hit like very hard if like i feel like if i was not interested in like that sort of like that hero's arc journey because i mean mm-hmm. for our class we do arcs literally all yeah. the time and so i definitely that kept me engaged but i feel like if i had no interest in that i would have been i would have been like out um, there were definitely times where I'm just about like my general thoughts. Um, there were, um, I definitely, yeah, first of all, I really liked it a lot. Um, I love the symbolism. I thought, um, the actors who played Tandy and Tyrone, I think Olivia Hull and like Aubrey Joseph were, uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that, um, Bridget, uh, Emma Lahani who played Bridget O'Reilly kind of surprised me. I didn't know how it's great she'd be in the show, like, after I'd watch episode two, but I was, it was definitely interesting to, like, see, like, her through line, and, like, also made it as subtle as possible to not sort of take the focus away from Tandy and Tyrone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a Power was Ranger, man. Important. She she knows how to do her stuff, yeah. Ooh. I, I, I and, but in the new uh, one, the 2004 series, uh, Power Rangers Dino Thunder, she was Kira, <gasps> the Yellow Ranger. Oh my gosh! I didn't I realize didn't that until that. someone pointed it out to me. But I loved Dino Thunders. So I was like, "Oh, so how did I not Dude. notice that before?" That and I couldn't unsee it after that. I I could I Boom. could very well cry. I loved Power Rangers as a kid. Wow. Yeah, I still love Power Rangers, man. <laughs> I watched. Um, I used to watch Jungle Fury just because that's the only one that was available oh, that's on TV. But yeah. that uh, that was that was pretty cool. I liked that. Well, I would talk later yeah. about this. I have thoughts. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yeah, Power a- AP oh, yeah. Power Rangers um, later. Um. <laughs> yes, um, I definitely my biggest problem with the show was that um, it's that it definitely like this, this how it handles the social co- like its social commentary definitely contributes to this problem. But my biggest problem with the show was that like it was a very like there were times that it was very very. Dark. I felt it was really, really dark. Like the first, like during the pilot, um, if you remember, I think one of the end scenes is like the guy who um, Tandy stole from the beginning, um, the guy who Tandy stole from the beginning, um, comes back, finds her, and yeah. almost rapes her in an alley. And I was like, "Holy shit, are we really seeing this?" And 
it definitely shocked it definitely shocked me a lot and then that shock kind of continued as you like really I really like sort of crack through at the injustices that of the system that like Cloak and Dagger shows episodes two, three, and then it rises sort of into this hopeful like sort of mystery again, sort of four to seven and eight. And then I remember nine feeling like so like emotionally like beaten because like just sort of feeling like our characters yeah. like they are so emotionally beaten and you know life hits at them hard again and I definitely felt that same way like and by the time I watched like the finale I was like I feel like at that point you could see like the tone had sort of lessened to like what it had what it sort of had been in episodes like four to eight and also while well, also still striving to have like a balance but you could also def I was also like definitely like tired I feel like if I were to watch a show again I would I wouldn't binge mm-hmm. it I would just like watch it one I think it was nice that they released it like one week at a time because if they just dropped this all on like Netflix for some like for example like all 10 episodes I would that not is so it. interesting that you mentioned that balance and like how late it comes in because that's exactly how I was feeling I wouldn't have thought to tie it to like feeling the same as the protagonists at all but like I am definitely with you on that um exhaustion because it it sort of felt like I was being steered in different directions with like with the way certain characters were being taken or certain storylines were being taken so I wasn't really sure necessarily um where to look or like where to put my emotion and so I was sort of forced to put my emotion in everything that they were giving me and then by the time that we got to episode nine or even episode eight um I had then like only realized that I'd spent all of my emotion on these other storylines that didn't matter and then I wasn't focusing on something else and then so like I think that for season two they could definitely improve on um making the plot a little bit more defined and not spending a lot of time trying to introduce a character just to take them away. Specifically Tandy's mm. boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about him until like that. <laughs> and then he just came back for a little bit and it was like, boy, what are you doing here? He just looked unhappy the whole time. Yeah. And then he just disappeared again. Right. And then he's like, oh, Tandy, I do this because I love you. I was like, what? I... Okay. Oh, relating to that also, I I feel like the best way to sum up, like, free, like Cloak and Dagger's, like, sort of, like, like just how, how they're, how they execute social commentary, the best, I think the best moment that describes that is when um, O'Reilly comes to Officer Fuchs' house and she's like, oh, wait, where Fuchs? Fuchs, where the fuck is he? And she opens the fridge, and we see male fridging. Oh, my God. <laughs> Time to turn the tables. Literal male yeah. fridging. Yeah. That was a Ooh, fascinating, yeah. like, subvert, like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, um, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was horrific. I mean, like, I when you were talking about yeah. how dark this show was, I was thinking about just how... Just how graphic watching Billy get shot in that first episode mm. was. Um, like, that's something definitely that I feel like mainstream mm-hmm. media tries to avoid depicting. Like, just that very real and graphic thing that uh, we're, at this point, we're so used to, like, to, like, seeing on the news on a cell phone camera until actually, like, um, 
to watch that, especially a character so important, was just like a, a really, really intense way to uh, to open the show. Mm-hmm. Hook and Dagger went a lot into. I mean, as Chris described from um, the opening scene, you can already tell that Cloak and Dagger definitely covered like you know, police, like just African American, like black, sort mm, like African Americans and like like and the police like definitely that issue is a hotbed um that stuck out the most to me just because it was so current mm-hmm. but then you also look at like the corrupt like government big businesses uh with Roxon and just almost through Tandy's homelessness as well like you kind of see like how rough she has it um but I don't know I feel like it was I mean I think I've touched on it, but it's definitely, it was definitely, like, the heaviest part. Like, that was the stuff that, like, left me drained. Like, when you see all this injustice and, like, you get beaten down yeah. again and again. Um, it's very, it's very blatant. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty much, it's very blatant. And at first, I, I don't know, I appreciated it at first for, like, being pretty candid. But I think, yeah, for a while, I just got, like, pretty tired. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, at first, I mean, I think it's really interesting having uh, this. Is the contrast with the two main characters, you know, you have a, um, you know, you have a, a white girl kind of living in squalor, and then you have um, a, a young black man who is uh, very privileged, and you know, goes to, like this very nice school, and you know, is, um, you know, potentially getting like a sports scholarship or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but then when it gets to um because they actually they talk about this they talk about all of this um like uh tyrone especially um this just his experience and uh, i think setting it in uh new orleans whereas i think the comics was in new york right um, yeah i think really, so yeah, re- yeah really gave uh this show a very unique um uh cultural edge it added some texture to it so they talked a lot about voodoo culture and um i think it was like the second to last episode when they're when um uh, they were talking about like, uh, you know, it's always two people. You know, whenever uh, New Orleans is is kind of in uh, yeah, pretty, the yeah, divine uh, pairing, which I, I thought was really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't, not being from the area, I couldn't tell you how accurate it was or or not. Um, but when you get to that um, extended sequence of Tandy and Tyrone looking into each other's minds, um, so okay, you had two things. You had, um like, fantasy Tyrone, like, uh, constantly, uh, committing suicide by police, Mm -hmm. and you had, um, Tandy's, uh, father, uh, being waterboarded by the oil executives, and all of this is happening while, like, some two-bit version of This Is America is playing in the background, um, and and I I was, like, I was just kind of, like, what this is so much right now like it's i i felt like i was not warned that any of this was coming up right um and like this just how uh just it's yeah. it, it felt like i'm not saying it was delivered poorly but it, it felt like the most obvious way to do this yeah it was very on the nose yeah um mm-hmm. yeah it's, I don't know, when you're watching a dude literally getting waterboarded by big oil <laughs> I thought I was like okay I get it show I <laughs> get it you can slow down yeah when I was um when yeah. I was looking like trying to take notes for this episode I um 
stumbled upon this video that is called The Untold Truth of Cloak and Dagger, which gives you like a quick and dirty kind of history overview of right. the comics. And um, so Cloak and Dagger are like introduced in New York and um, they're brought up in the Spider-Man comics. So they have a lot of run-ins with, uh, with him. And actually their story is so much darker. And I remember, I remember first watching the show and being like, well, why is like, why does Tandy keep like snorting painkillers? You know, I, I, I actually take, um, I have, I have a lot of problems with Tandy. I don't really, I feel like she's incredibly inconsistent, but, um, I thought one of the biggest flaws for me was that she was just like, oh, I'm this sad scorned girl who has to thieve and kill in order to feel alive and like take drugs and all this stuff. And I realized that like that drug aspect was so much deeper in the origin of the story of the comics mm. because um, Cloak and Dagger actually originated as test subjects from like bad heroin samples. Oh my God. And so like, I assume that their choice, the showrunner's choice to not, um, to not include that would make complete sense because I mean, the opioid ep epidemic is, it's, is a whole other beast to deal with and tackle. Yeah. But it kind of made, like, Tandy's little drug habit a little confusing. Like, I didn't know if they wanted the whole um, uh, addiction thing that her mom has because she's an alcoholic. Like, having that to deal, like, having that to connect as well. Um, so that was kind of confusing. But it was interesting, like, seeing them attempt to crack the actual um, surface of the drug crisis and different drug epidemics in the lower class. Um, and in terms of police brutality, like it's nothing, obviously nothing that we haven't seen before and um, incredibly on the nose of having Connors be like, Oh, you're nothing kid. Like you can't touch me, you know, being like yeah. all interwoven with the drug running. And it's just kind of like, all right, as you said, like, all right, show, I get it. He's a bad guy, and I shouldn't want him to win. <laughs> exactly. So, um, all of that was incredibly on the nose. I, in terms of the voodoo culture, I really appreciated it, and I loved it mm -hmm. because I just think that it's so different. And I don't. I feel like this is like kind of nothing they've ever done before. And it was a really interesting take because it gave us a little bit more of a concrete reason behind why they would be pulled together other than saying like obviously you can, since we're taking out the whole like drug thing in terms of them being heroin addicts whatever um since we're taking that out we have this like cultural thing that really comes in however they didn't bring it in really in terms of the divine pairing until it was too late or like they were giving us crumbs in episodes i think like four and five and then didn't really pull it out until like um, eight or nine. And that kind of made me yeah. sad because I wanted to see Evita like really getting, um, getting to talk to Tyrone a little bit more. But that also left more for me to be, um, left more to be desired for next season. Because I really want to see like Evita playing around with their dynamic and like kind of being their guy in the chair sort of but not really. Mm. Um, and then lastly, yeah. in terms of social issues, like, dude, capitalism, Roxxon, big corporations, the whole, like, Roxxon 
um, arc or storyline was kind of confusing, and it and it made sense. I feel like only in my favorite episode, which is when they go into Ivan Hess's mind, because it was like, oh, I see, we're trying to solve this problem that everybody is blaming Nathan Bowen for. Okay, cool, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I feel like they were trying to play with ambiguity or like make it seem like a grown-up problem, and in in order to characterize Tandy as someone who's like trying to be grown and trying to stand up to something. So, yeah, those are my hot takes on the social issues discussed. Yes. What did you, th- what did you think of the, uh, the, uh, the, the Mardi Gras, tr- the, the, what was it, the, the Wild Red Hawks? Oh, yeah, the, kind of- like, with um, Tyrone's family, like, the dad's family? Yeah. Yeah. That, I thought that was really interesting, but I didn't spend enough time with it. Like, especially because they introduced Tyrone's dad as being someone who was so in this culture. And we mm-hmm. only got to see it, like, when Tyrone messed up and when he was like, y'all don't care about Billy. And then, um, yeah. and then all of a sudden, well, and then we go to this dad's, like, um, this other family, essentially, and it sounds like he's estranged from them. And then all of a sudden, he, they're all, like, back in his house, and <laughs> yeah. it's all fine and hunky-dory and everyone's chilling. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, sure, you can take the cake, like, you can take the cloak. It's like, but this is Billy's cloak. And there should have been, like, more, I feel like there should have been more emotion behind it. It was like they were trying to pull too many details together at mm-hmm. once. But I still, again, like, appreciated the effort. Yeah, it's yeah. just fun that they included that. I mean, I, I, I don't recall off the top of my head uh, who, who ran this show. I think it was someone who worked on uh, on Heroes, and I think wrote some yeah. Daredevil episodes, yeah. I want to say. Yeah. yeah. His name. It was Joe, Joe, P- it's Joe Pekowski. Pekowski. Whatever. Yeah. Pekaski. Yeah, I thought it was Pulaski. It's Pekaski. Um, Pekaski. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he also did this show called Underground, which is quite good. It's still on. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what his, what that dude's credentials are in terms of, like, <laughs> depicting this culture, or if they had, like, writers on staff who were familiar with uh, New Orleans culture, but um, it it was, and I'm saying this as someone who doesn't know the culture at all, it, it, it came across as authentic, or at the very least, like, um, so- someone in the writers' room uh really loved this, co- really loves this culture, and wanted to um share elements of it with the with the mainstream, which I I always appreciate in a show. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think the element of adding the um the tour was a really good way of introducing us to that. I think it's like yeah. one of the first things that they do to really tell us, hey, we're in New Orleans, you know? And we're, like, really yeah. stepping into this tour, into this um, into this realm. They were like, let's give you a tour in the history. And it, like, it felt authentic, and that was really special. Didn't yeah. they end up on the Superdome at the end? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah they did, on the was... roof, right? Yeah, yeah during cute. the very, like... Yeah, during the so I, sort of I, maybe it's just me, but I, I feel like that the Superdome is always associated with Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially there was mm-hmm. there was a literal like storm, if you may, in the finale. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and the fact that that's like kind of like their their last, they're like in the I don't know, <laughs> they were like the last moment of peace and like the the eye of the storm, let's call it. But um, I don't know. I thought that was interesting, or maybe they just wanted a really nice shot. I don't know. <laughs> Well, like, the end was totally when they like, think, I think when Joe Pekaski described the setting, he described it as a post-Hurricane Katrina um, New Orleans. New Orleans. Um, and I think um, Evita's aunt references that as well. Like, oh, like, after 
know, after, I think she references, like, after Katrina a lot when she's talking with her auntie. And just how it's, it's, I think it's, um, it seems like it's still, like, a city, like, recovering from that. But at the same time, like, right. I'd say that I think the auntie is just, I think the auntie is just wary of how, like, no, there's Katrina, but, like, something bigger is coming, i.e., like, what, you know, brings Tyrone and Tandy together. I think that, um, I also, like, love the voodoo aspect. Um, I think, but I also think I got enough of it as well. I feel like if it had been introduced, like, like if it was featured in, like, every single episode, like, you know, it's just, like, reminding people, oh, the Divine Perry, that's them, that's Tandy and Tyrone, yeah. like, that would be... I would definitely feel, like, a little bit exhausted. Like, I think the one thing that, like, sticks out to me the most was that, um, I think Evita finds him in the church, and she sort of explains, like, oh, here's a divine pairing, this is what it is. And, well, I guess it ties, it, well, this ties into the fact more that I think that, I think the last two episodes definitely came off as, like, free for me, which is just, like, drama all the time, <laughs> yeah. like, drama all the time, like, a little bit, like, cheesy, like, you know like brooding and all that stuff um is what i take like with freeform sign up but um <laughs> it's i just just cheesy lines there's so it's a lot the finale was like very well done but it was also like definitely like there are some cheesy lines that like they were just trying to they're just trying to they're just trying to write this end of the episode man like they, they crammed a lot of stuff at the end oh yeah i think like one of the things that they definitely like touched like upon like not enough was that the energy fueling the terrors was the stuff that had made Tyrone and Tandy which I thought was really interesting like like they I thought I mean I thought the reveal it was the stuff that like sort of made their powers was really interesting and they'll actually they'll probably explore more um in season two because of O'Reilly but it was definitely something I want to hear more about and I think they'll probably, like, that was a seed along with, like, you know, like, um, the Wild Hawks, um, and more voodoo culture, like, I think they sort of planted, they also, they established them, but they also, like, plant enough seeds that, like, I think in season two, they're just gonna go, I hope that they just go, like, full in and just really get to explore that and really not hold anything back. Um, the, the actual stuff that gave them their powers, is that, like, some sort of Dark Force stuff? Like, a la, like, Agent Carter, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, um, I think, I think they so, mentioned... Yeah, you're right, because when, when they stopped the thing at the end, um, that, that was a, that was a gap I had to fill in myself, like, realizing that, that it's connected to their own powers. Yeah. I think, um, um I know, like, it was mentioned, like, in an article, that, like, the Dark Force dimension exists in Cloak and Dagger, and it's, like, Tyrone's cloak powers are pretty similar to, like, his in the comics, like, I, um, that they, they bring people, into, like, he has access to, like, the Dark Force, like, in this, in MCU's case, like, the Dark Force dimension, and, like, you see him, like, start to bring in, you see him trap Connors there, um, and so, I think, yeah, I, like, like I said, I could hope they explore more of that, um, for, like, yeah, for social issues, like, y'all pretty much, like, nailed what I also thought. Like, it was definitely very startling and heavy, and that con- I think that contributed to, like, that feeling of, like, tiredness um, that mm-hmm. I felt like throughout some episodes, and so. Um, but I also, like, kind of 
praise Freeform for doing that because I feel like I don't know if any of their shows are like as like blatant like and on the head as Cloak and Dagger is, but it felt like it also straddled the line between like you know you should absolutely see see the show it's so important to like this show is like hitting you over the head, you know, it's trying to say a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I so, mean, I, I guess I guess when too many shows are being apolitical, it um, you don't really have much of a choice but to to really get out there and just like you know just put it on a neon sign for all to see, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're definitely right. It's just hard to. Mm, I don't know if it was hard to compete, but I think politics these days are like a very right field for new content <laughs> yeah yeah because th- there wasn't anything in this show that hasn't really been said before uh in fact yeah. i think um i don't know i feel like luke cage uh did better in you know probably tackling fewer social issues but it probably did the ones it tackled uh with a little more nuance uh not yeah. totally nuanced but like more nuanced than Cloak and dagger yeah Definitely, like one of my, one of my favorite episode, from my favorite moments from the first season of Luke Cage is, um, like one how it tackled, I think it tackled police brutality like, in an interesting way. But one of my favorite portions was that um, when Method Man raps, um, he raps like bulletproof love, like this song, like when the song's from mm-hmm. Luke Cage, mm-hmm. and the montage behind it is just these cops um, turn around with these bullet hole hoodies, and it's not Luke Cage, it's just some, it's just another black guy. And I think they did that. I think that was one of the best scenes that highlighted, um, like, the social commentary of Luke Cage. We talked, we showed it in the class, um, because I just love it so much. Um, and I think it really touches on what they want to say really well. Um, speaking of Luke Cage, (laughs) um... Oh, yeah. Segway! Yes. And so, surprisingly enough, Cloak and Dagger connects to Luke Cage, um, through O'Reilly. Um, she mentions that she used to work in Harlem, and she mentions her friend, Misty, um, and... Who's that? <laughs> oh, no. And, conse- and um, subsequently, um, so I haven't finished Luke Cage season two yet, but um, apparently they mentioned O'Reilly moving to New Orleans um, in the show as well. Yep. And yes, so, they do. Ah, nice. And so, and they, there has also been talks of, apparently, um, just between, like, just, like, early ideas from, like, you know, uh, TV execs and stuff. But there were ideas of bringing um, Simone Missick onto the show. Oh. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Yeah. And it, okay, give me a little tie-in. I'm always here for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what story I'm... reason she would uh, get on a plane. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm always I'm always down for more cross-network TV crossovers, which we talked about. Not really happening at all in the mcu mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely long overdue and if you think about it it's also one of the first references in a while or even if ever like or they mentioned like cro- yeah as we said cross-platform tv shows like you see mm-hmm. um yeah you see uh cloak and dagger mentioned a netflix show which is nice to see um and i think like thinking about it now like so, like, thinking about it now, if O'Reilly is sort of the villain the next season, I see that as a way to bring Misty in. Um, 
and maybe she'll do like just sort of a one-off episode i don't know if she'll be like a substantial like role a la like claire from the defenders mm-hmm. um love her yes but um it was definitely yeah but definitely like the connections were like really interesting to see you see uh you also see um Scarborough mentioned you need to keep up with the Joneses or the Starks or the Rands. So that's a really yeah. cute Yeah, I love that. Love that reference. Uh, yeah, that, that felt more organic yeah. than, than the MCU usually does. <laughs> I really appreciated that. Yeah. I also not think that yeah, not like much... a, I feel like it's a completely justifiable um, reasoning for yeah. all of your cover-ups, yeah. you know? Like, having to keep up with, with all of these other major companies is completely mm-hmm. valid and the fact that like these major companies also have um installments in the mcu this is this is great good work guys you did it yes you know I, I i've been waiting forever for just to hear stark and rand in the same sentence in the mcu just because <laughs> you know they're they're both very like prolific prominent you know rich white dudes in the mcu and uh i don't know i have this weird like headcanon that um, people on MCU Twitter would uh, make fun of Danny Rand the same way that we are of Elon Musk right now. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, there's yeah. like a, a parody. Uh, there's a French Elon Musk, uh, a French Danny Rand's <laughs> Twitter account in the MCU. I now, Twitter's like cracking down on them. I'm now all of a sudden like really, really wanting um tony to say something snarky about danny or like say something snarky about roxon if that could ever happen but at the very least i i need danny to mention it like well i mean roxon has been in the iron man films just not as prominently i guess like like, roxon has been like yeah roxon has been the um in insert evil corporation here in all of the uh marvel properties like i think yeah like they they, they've been name dropped in uh some of the films like more prominently i think iron man 3 when ben kingsley pretended to kill a rocks on oil exec um uh it was in the uh one of the shorts the colson where like he's filling up his car at like a rocks on gas station yeah Oh, uh, I remember was, that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was uh, Roxxon was in Daredevil. I think Electra was trying to go after them. Yeah. And um, dear Lord, uh, so they've been hinting at this for a long yeah. time. Yeah, you saw you saw older Roxxon and Agent Carter. I think, right? Yeah, wow. I'm pretty it's sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Essentially, and the logo is always different in every single thing because they they're not there's no consistency. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like location, geographical, like differences like I, I feel like there's there are definitely different logos for like you know a, like for a company in like one area of the country and like another area of like just like sister brands like sister brands or whatever sure I'm sure yeah yeah that's how i try to justify that's a it pick. <laughs> yeah yeah but i don't know definitely feels like i think they almost i feel like they almost like had i feel like rocks on could have been like sort of you could have named it anything else, but I think it still would have had the same impact. I think Roxxon just sort of brings, like, the MCU, like, it's all connected appeal to it. Mm-hmm. But I also don't know, like, what... I guess um, the question kind of asks is, like, what will they do with Roxxon now? Because um, at the end of the show, you see, like, Roxxon responsible, they're kind of ousted by the papers. And so does that leave, like, a huge hole where Roxxon is? Um, we see in the season finale... Um, O'Reilly, aka Mayhem, I guess in the comics, I'm sort of rising to be the next villain. So, 
don't know. I think, like, I'm kind of worried. I'm kind of, like, yeah, I guess I'm kind of worried that, like, what happens with Roxanne now, now that the MCU has sort of dealt away with it, theoretically, like, do you think it could ever come back? I feel like we're going to see a Roxxon gas station in Spider-Man 2, and it's just not going to matter because it's a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, oh, man. I feel like it's definitely not going to be a central point for the next season. Um, and I hope that they clear it up in, like, one episode maximum because um, it doesn't feel like there's much left to tie up, like, all that you need to... I just want to know, like, in the first 15 minutes, where is everybody now? Like, everybody that we know, that we knew of from the previous season, where are they? Do we, should we be caring about them? AKA, do I need to care about Tandy's boyfriend? Yes or no? (laughs) And then, like, establish everything else from there. Because I feel like, yeah, with the way that they ended Roxxon, the only person I would be concerned about is that, uh, that, that board member. And Ivan Hess. Obviously. Yeah. Where is the water lady who's an assassin? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ooh. With her Wait, ponytail. She... Oh my oh god. My gosh. That uniform though. Yeah. What a character. Uh, was she the Subtlety. one who finds was she the one who finds a catatonic scarborough? Or was it someone else? Uh, I don't I hmm. I feel like there was uh I mean she got like she got grabbed by the um, the the Mardi Gras zombies, as I call them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But but then I thought there was a shot where she finds that Roxxon dude in the elevator. Unless that was someone, I I didn't know what was happening in that shot because that dude was just sitting in the elevator while like everything else is going on. But um, I I have no idea. Nor do I. I was mostly joking because she's a lame character. But uh, <laughs> like, I think. I don't know. You might be referring to Scarborough, like how he's just like completely like, catatonic and like not able to really do anything. Like after, oh, like, okay, the same okay. Stat, that, state as, I like, guess Pest that's what was, happened um, for eight years. Yeah, sure. Was that what Tandy was doing to people? Because I couldn't tell. Like I thought she was just like she was like taking their hope away or something I like that. I don't know. I thought she was I just touching yeah. them because she was nosy. I don't know. I thought she was just making them depressed or something. I couldn't tell. <laughs> I think she was, like, the making them depressed. Touch. But, like, I think for Scarrow, she's like, all right, this is a special kind of punishment. Put you in, like, a never-ending, like, I guess, like, hell or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why he sort of teasing like that kind of state. I think, um, I think Tandy did that on purpose, essentially. Like, I think she discovered she has, like, the power to do that. Um, it was also, yeah, it was definitely weird how, like, it seemed like Tandy was learning her, like, just growing more in her powers at, like, a faster pace than Tyrone, but I tied them more to, like, a character development thing, um, and, like, just how they were, and then you also see, like, Tyrone also develop a lot more, like, with the Dark Force dimension as well, so, in the end, it kind of balances balances it out, but definitely, like, the power, like, I sort of, the how they learned the power, like, learned their own powers, like, it was definitely, like, a weird sort of, like, I guess, I don't know the right word is, but it's sort of, like, how, like, how, yeah, Tandy and I just learned Fast and Tyrone, like, a weird, like, dynamic, I guess. So, they're, like, complementary in a way, maybe? I don't know what you're saying exactly, but, um... Yeah, like, it's... 
because I thought it was like a more symbiotic uh, relationship in the comics. Like I, I just I saw some blurb that was talking about how uh, Tandy's daggers are like kind of poisonous to her, and um, Tyrone is kind of starving, quote unquote, starving, and so he needs to like, like needs to consume those daggers to yeah. survive and tandy yeah. like something like that whereas like in this series they can't even fucking touch each other um but I, I found it interesting the whole you know seeing your hopes and seeing your fears uh you know what initially was a gimmick for storytelling um watch them kind of learn how to weaponize that was really interesting to watch oh um, yeah yeah, just just kind of like and learning how it how it affected each other. So when she's like at that at that uh, wedding, I think, and uh, Tyrone is playing basketball and he's like glitching out. Yeah, while, uh, Tanny's. <laughs> it was just, the like, rock song benefit because so, that's yeah, where um, she meets. Me yeah, at. yeah. Oh, yeah, I forget. I forgot what it was. What this, there was a wedding at some point. Yeah, right? with the boyfriend yeah. to uh, steal more stuff. Remember. Oh yeah, that, <laughs> I'm see. I'm getting those scenes confused now. Um... Which goes to show the variety of the scenes in the show. But anyway, um, where I where I um, eventually took issue was that it just kept stacking rules, like new rules about these specific yeah. set of powers. Um, so there there is that really there is that relevatory scene where um, they're doing like a little like a vigil for uh, Tanny's dad with uh, her mom. Yeah, and they they all they all make contact and then they see. Um, they see Tandy's, uh, a brief moment of Tandy's, uh, domestic violence. Um, very comics take Pimmy, I guess, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, um, I was like, what, wait, when, when was that a thing? And the whole thing of like, oh, uh, Tandy needs Tyrone to unlock this door. And, um... You know, it was definitely, like, serving the plot, but it, it just felt like um, there were new rules every episode that, for really no rhyme or reason, and that just kind of made certain things in the show harder to register. Like, we, I was just talking about, like, what the hell was Tandy doing to those people? Uh, yeah. Like, to, yeah. I, I also, <laughs> it was like, what was she doing to the, to those people? And then she would come to Tyrone and be like, you know what? I just came here to tell you to say the hell out of my head. And it was like, Tandy, <laughs> if you had just not done what you did, maybe you wouldn't be in the situation. But, like, she's yeah. incapable of, like, taking responsibility. She was regressing, yeah. just like just like the priest was telling them very obviously with a, with a whiteboard. The here's uh, board. Yeah. Yeah. I was so... I It, it was like okay at first but then as they kept going back to him i was, was name like they kept yeah. well, the thing is like he kept um saying exactly what was happening to the characters like he <laughs> might as well have been reciting the, the wikipedia plot of the episode that he was oh my in. god yeah because um, yeah like because so i found out before i kind of like found out beforehand like o'reilly would be like the villain like of the next season and so when you and when he's like, yeah, like, so this can either lead to, like, the death of the hero or, like, the birth of a villain, and then it cuts to O'Reilly, and I'm like, wow, that was so blatant. Like, mm. as always. And then the hero will start to snort up uh, painkillers <laughs> pain again in, a, in an abandoned church. Like, I was surprised he just didn't start, like, saying Tandy and Tyrone's names and, like, 
just, just like some word for, like he just, he he just like pulls out the screenplay and he just starts like waving it at the kids like <laughs> and like the cuts back to this the video because he's like mm, yeah. yeah I know yeah I told you guys or I'm about to tell you guys that I know also that you two are the divine pairing and that trouble uh-huh. is coming because it is coming if you couldn't tell already from the episode that we're in right now and it was yeah, like it- dude. <laughs> And and then the camera cuts back to uh, Jeff Loeb sitting on like a producer's chair, and then he winks <laughs> at the camera. That's that. That's how the show should have ended. You yeah. And like first. some, and like also in like some New Orleans like Mardi Gras garb that's like very like that tries to like fit in with the times, but like clearly doesn't. I'm referring to like when Jeff Loeb like Jeff Loeb like, like dressed up as like some karate man for Iron Fist's panel, and I'm like, excuse me. Yeah, that, <laughs> we, we talked about in the show how weird Jeff Loeb is, and I just want to say again, Jeff Loeb is a weird dude. Um, why, do, why did you put that on, Jeff Loeb? You're going to stop. <laughs> I'm not, it's not Hashtag even like, stop Jeff Loeb. <laughs> hashtag Jeff, Ooh, yes. What a man. Please get hashtag stop Jeff Loeb around. It was like, Wait, yeah, well, we'll that's get so funny because I was, um, so for you listeners, I recently binged uh, The Gifted and I was like surprisingly really immersed into it. And mm-hmm. um, it's like sort of MCU, but not really because Jeff Loeb was sitting on the panel, question mark, at Comic-Con. Yeah. And like, yeah. and so it was kind of strange because I didn't know if I was supposed to pay attention to this or not. But, like, he loves acting like he's the puppet master. And it's kind of like, Jeff, calm down. We all know Kevin's calling the shots. Like, we all know that he's the one telling you what you can and can't do. Yeah, like, you're subservient to whatever uh, his folks are doing in a uh, movie land. Right. Um, but, he, yeah. yeah, he still tries to be, like, the guy at the panel. Like, I think the Marvel <laughs> the guy News Desk always... Like, he, he always makes, uh, like, uh, Marvel News Desk, we've always made fun of, like, how he starts chants. Like, he's like, okay, everyone on this side of the room says cloak, and the other side of the room says dagger. Cloak, dagger, cloak, dagger. He's like, he's like, he is like the worst hype man. He's such a dad. In the industry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I am we, the we, father we, we, of we these shows. That. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, Marvel Television is a weird beast because they also, um, oversee the, uh, the non-MCU and all, you know, the cartoons and whatnot. Um, and I, I've never, I, we talked about this in episode three, but I, I have no idea what Jeff Loeb actually does with these shows, like, creatively, because we know that Kevin Feige is, like, very, extremely, like, immensely, intimately involved with the movies, and Jeff Loeb is just, like, kind of there on the press tours with them, and, you know, I, I assume he's always, like, in the room, but, um, he, he's a, he's a weird dude, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> And he always gives, like, the most vague answers in interviews, too, which is very frustrating. Which I understand because it's Marvel. You know, Marvel's very secretive, but... Dude. You're weird. Yeah. Oh, Jeff Loeb. Like... Everyone on this side of the room say, Jeff Loeb! Everyone on this side of the room say, is weird! Jeff Loeb is weird! weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, just just to transition out of Jeff Loeb, um, into, I guess, the future of the MCU and all um, the TV shows they have now or TV shows that they could create. Um, we've discussed, I think, a little bit um, how Runaways, like how, like, how Cloak and Dagger is sort of like how Runaways meets Legion. Um, and just mentioning how it sort of 
how it ties in with that a little bit and just um, how it's sort of a similar tone, essentially. Um, it's a sort of a similar tone, um, people have been saying. Essentially, um, Runaways was the first show to sort of establish, like, this sort of teen MCU and what it's like to be, like, a teen in the MCU world. And Cloak and Dagger almost fits into that just because of the age of Tandy and Tyrone's characters. Um, so when they aired the Cloak and Dagger finale, um, they also aired the first episode of Runaways, like, immediately after that. I did not see. I also, I love Runaways. I obviously watched it on Hulu, like, straight up. But, Sabrina, did you, you saw that, right? I guess, like, the Cloak and Dagger X Runaways, like, double feature. Yeah, that was honestly such an interesting, such an interesting contrast. Um, Mm -hmm. I really feel like Runaways helped me see where Cloak and Dagger could be and sort of also why it's not there. And just to expand on that, what I mean is just that Runaways so beautifully managed to characterize a ginormous cast of characters, like all of the kids, all of the parents, and all of the mini, like all of the tiny little workings that are going on in each of the families and how they overlap and how some people have secrets from someone else. And it proves how an entire, like essentially, for lack of a better term, web of lies could really go in and affect everyone else, which is sort of what Cloak and Dagger wanted to do. But as we were, we've been mentioning, it like sort of bit off more than than it could chew in trying to um, characterize every possible little thing and introducing all of these new rules. But the fact that I think the thing that stuck out most to me was that in Runaways, we were given the conflict in the first episode. The first episode was all of those kids um, dealing with the fact that they, well, different conflicts in terms of with each other, like the fact that they had to deal with their friendships being on the outs and none of them were really speaking to each other again. And they sort of, which I still find to be a little awkward, like they made themselves get back together, but whatever, it's fine. And then the major conflict of them finding out that their parents are really into some shady shit, you know, like that was what we were given right off the bat. And like that kind of strong semi cliff cliffhanger is what made me um, really appreciate Cloak and Dagger as well, because it sort of did the same thing being like, wait, whoa, why are these two strangers all of a sudden touching hands? And I don't understand (laughs) why they can't touch hands. This doesn't make sense. Right. And then it right. would never tell me why they couldn't touch hands. It was just, except that they can't touch hands. And so um, going throughout the entire season and, like, just basically comparing the two, like, watching, seeing the first, seeing the pilot of Runaways again made me um, mentally compare the two. And I just, I really realized how much I love Runaways. And I think I'm going to binge it as soon as we're done recording this episode, because it <laughs> yeah. was just so good. Yeah, I mean, Runaways was more of a... Um, I, I mean, it, it, it resembles more... It, 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 excuse me. It resembles a teen drama more than Cloak and Dagger, I think, whereas Cloak and Dagger tries to be a little more authentic in, um, you know, depicting uh, real issues that uh, teenagers in America might go through. Runaways is more, like... It, it's a, lo- a lot more tropey. A lot more uh, stock characterizations, a lot more uh, cliches, which isn't like neither is 
the wrong way to do it, but um, I think those are very different ways to approach the quote-unquote t- uh, teen drama. Uh, but I, you know, because I don't really watch these shows. I, you know, if you listen to some of my other work, like uh, myself and um, uh, this other person by the name of Kel Katicha, we did a podcast, uh, a recap podcast on Runaways every week. Uh, Izzy, you were on one of those episodes, I think. Yes, I was, because right? I am literally yeah. Nico Minoru. And I refuse to yeah. not be on this po- on that uh, podcast. Um, yeah, so it it was like a crossover because like I was into Marvel and uh, she was into like um, Riverdale and um, you know the, the, the showrunners of Runaways made the OC and Gossip Girl, so that was kind of like our overlap um, from our different tastes. Um, and you know, Cloak and Dagger was just kind of its own beast. While um, I'm. I'm so curious, Izzy, like, what you're going to say about Freeform stuff, because I have not seen a single, I guess, post-rebranding, I don't know what a Freeform show is. Mm. Well, like, I see, so when I see, like, a Freeform show, I still see it as, like, so it's ABC Family, but they had to, like, reorient it just because, like, they're going into, like, more, like, they're going into, like, more different content. Like, you see, like, with, um... Like, so I, so I used to watch Freeform when it was still ABC Family, that's why I mostly watch it, but I distinctly remember, like, me watching Pretty Little Eyes, and my mom being like, Izzy, you can't watch that, turn it off right now. Like, they had to kind of rebrand themselves, and so that's why I, like, joke, like, it's the new name for ABC Family. Um, But, I see Freeform's, like, definitely, like, definitely, like, just sort of more teen-centric content. You see, like, I think most of their shows, like, deal with teens, like, you see, um, like, they show, so they use, like, on ABC Family, they had, like, this girl, like, they make a teenager, which focused on, like, Shailene Woodley being, like, a teen mom. Um, Pretty Little Liars, obviously, yeah, most, I mean, it's Pretty Little Liars, you probably know what, I don't know if people, you probably know what that is, if not, like. A little bit. Oh, well. My sister um, watched it. Yeah. But, um, they did, uh, but they also did a couple more shows that sort of delve more into, like, they did a lot, that delved more to, like, a lot of social commentary. Like, they had, like, the Fosters, which had, like, two lesbian moms. Um, their families, like, I think a bunch of, like, I don't know the show that well, but, like, a bunch of, like, you know, foster kids. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like one of them is, like, trans or something, but they mentioned, like. Yeah. Yeah, but like, it was they very, like. They chose to adopt all of them. Yeah, it was a very, like, progressive show. Um, they did Switched at Birth, which was um, a show about, like, literally two girls switched at birth. Um, one was deaf. Um, one was partially deaf, okay. and um, it sort of expanded on like sort of that culture, which is really interesting to see. Um, I am blanking out on what else they have aired, um, but you can mm. see like freeform is sort of like it's um, like from like a sort of shows I described, like freeform essentially. Um, it's definitely like trying to sort of push forward those like sort of more progressive shows, like those like this sort of greater inclusion. Um, like something in identity, like this, this greater, like, yeah, this greater inclusion, um, <clears throat> and it's really capturing like all kinds of teens and people, um, just to bring in like the entire, like the really the big teen market. Even though like I get a star people used to tease it, like this, the new ABC Family, um, is really getting a flack for that. Um, but they also still produce content like Shadow Hunters, like really pop, like this TV series based on the really, really popular like books and like media and sort of spinning that into their own and really having like that sort of teen drama-esque aspect like so i definitely shadow hunters is definitely within that realm um 
So I, yeah, so I sort of categorize like freeform esque as this like, essentially it's like really, it's almost like, I feel like freeform, the best way to describe it is like freeform shows are almost like CW shows, but a little more like socially aware. Um, mm-hmm. But still With like- a really, little like, more still, angst. Like, yeah. A li- <laughs> yeah. Like that's a good way to describe it. Like a little more like, they definitely have a lot more to say, which is really, which I appreciate a lot. Um, they're a little bit more like angsty. Um, and they just appeal more. It's like a wider market, which is kind of refreshing. Um, I feel like to bring Runaways into this mixture, um, now that I describe this freeform S lineup, Runaways definitely kind of fits into that, <laughs> which I can definitely see why I wanted mm-hmm. to air them back to back. Um, I mean, this is a, I don't think I've ever, I don't know if I've talked about Runaways like extensively on um, this podcast yet, except for maybe a couple episodes, but I love Runaways. Um, I read the comics. It was like one of the first Marvel comics I'd read. Um, I am, I literally just am Nika Minoru, and you can't tell me otherwise. Um, <laughs> and I liked that, I liked that it was so diverse in how it was really the first show that really was not afraid to just go full into that, like with, you know, LGBTQ, LGBTQ diversity, um, just the team itself. You see, like, like, there's, a, there's, like, a black guy, like, a lesbian, um, one person who might be bisexual, um, a, like, there's a variety of ages, like, Molly is, like, 14, um, in the comics, Gertrude's sort of plus size, I think they kind of toned that down in the TV show, but, uh, you mm-hmm. can't, you do what you do, um, um, there's a raptor. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's <laughs> very a raptor. Diverse, very diverse. Oh yeah, yeah. very very diverse. Um, but you can definitely see like how they fit in together, and you can. I mean, I definitely like. Yes, I am biased. I definitely feel like Runaways like does a better job at what it does. Um, it's not as on the. It gets definitely not as like on the head, but like you can sort of see that. Like, I you can almost sort of see like Runaways and Cloak and Dagger sort of showing, like, two aspects of, like, freeform, you could say, like, with Runaways, like, sort of capitalizing more on, like, the teen drama, like, with the love triangles, and the, I don't know, like, yeah, the web of lies, like, the intrigue, while still being, like, kind of this really rich fantasy aspect as well, like, with, you know, magic, and science, and potentially time travel, and you see, like, Cloak and Dagger really just delve into that, like, like, the voodoo culture full speed, and also just really, like, I mean, you said it best, Chris, like, waterboarding you with, like, social issues. <laughs> I don't think that's the exact way I put it, but yeah, that's, that's sure, that's accurate. Um, can I, I mean, mention it's not a bad two thing. things? Um, yeah. Um, so I feel like I see the um, the Runaways cast and the Cloak and Dagger duo hang out a lot, like, on, on their Instas, you know? Like, I feel like oh, they... Yeah. They made some red carpet appearances together, um, you know, kind of, um, I, I, that's a standard, like, Marvel thing, like, they're always at premieres, but, um, I, you know, l- learning about this, this genre of, t- of, uh, teen drama and seeing the cast members, like, seeing how specifically they engage with social media, mm-hmm. um, compared to, like, people of the older generations, like, who probably just take to Twitter, but, like, um, these, these are more, like, Insta- people i feel um and like sabrina i think you texted me like how um the the duo they were like with chadwick oh yeah i think oh man oh yeah that's right 
It was after, um, so as you know, Disney's really good at at timing. So last week, (laughs) last week, the digital release of Infinity War came out. And so they had a nice little press junket mini interview thing where Aubrey Joseph and Olivia Holt got to sit down with Chadwick. And it was like in the middle of, um, sorry, I just say Chadwick because I feel like I don't need to say Chadwick Boseman, a.k.a. Black Panther, because you should just know by now. But, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but Same, um, and that's why I also. <laughs> exactly. It's just, yeah. you know, it's just my homie Chadwick. Um, uh-huh. But they got to sit down and like basically talk to each other about um, about each of their projects and how important like Black Panther was in terms of general cultural significance and also his role um, in Infinity War. And then he got to give them some words of advice, which was so Ooh. tender. He was just like, keep doing what you're doing and you're doing great. And like, this is, this road's going to be a little tough, but you're on the right path. And like, don't let anyone shake you. It was just basically like normal motivational stuff, but I felt it too. So. Uh-huh. Aww. That's cool. Um, the, the second thing I wanted to say was that, um, I, I feel like Izzy enjoys Runaways more because it, um, it's more intimate with those tropes that we're familiar with. So it's, it's kind of this language that we're able to, uh, to speak, you know, we're more literate with the show that Runaways, uh, gave us, whereas Cloak and Dagger, I felt, um, tried to reach some points of new ground for not only Marvel television, but I guess, I mean, maybe from, for Freeform, but, um, I don't think, you know, these are not the writers of The Wire. These are not the writers of Breaking Bad. They don't have the same, uh, not, no offense to them, because I thought this was a, a pretty well-written show, but it didn't feel, maybe it was like corporate mandates or restrictions, but it didn't feel like it had the same nuance as other, uh, quote-unquote prestige dramas that, uh, do tackle these issues, uh, fairly well, like, you know, any... Like just just name like any true crime show that has come out like the past two years. True Detective. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> John Ridley's American Crime, and then Ryan Murphy's American Crime Story, oh, and man. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like all because that's like the new thing, like anthology crime series. Ozark. Um. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that. Those are the two things I had to say, Izzy. Yeah, like definitely. Um. Yeah, I yeah definitely. I think. I guess, I guess I mentioned, like, it definitely tries to, like, transcend, like, what, like, people try to, like, lock it in as, and I definitely applaud it for that. Um, but definitely as, like, we, as we've broken it down more, um, well, for one, I'm glad I, I also, I'm glad I'm not the only one who shares the fact that, you know, the social issues were, like, really, really heavy and, like, kind of startling to sort of watch and, like, sort of experience a little bit at times, and so that was kind of nice to hear. Um, that wasn't like that. I just wasn't the only one, um, and I think like there's definitely like room for improvement. But I also think like you know, like Cloak and Dagger definitely did like a really good job um, with like with their first season. Um, something I forgot to mention. Um, so in like the second, like in one of the volumes of Run, like one of the second volume, sort of smaller trade volumes of Runaways. Um, you see Cloak and Dagger actually make an appearance in a runaway storyline, which, like, <clears throat> also brings that natural sort of tie-in um, to each other. Um, since Cloak and Dagger, um, well, at that point in the comics, like, they were still, like, a, like they were still older. Um, they were a lot older than the runaways were now um, in the comic book series. And so it was interesting to have, like, 
that sort of like teen perspective, um, like the older like teen perspective, like who'd gone through all that already, like talking to the Runaways and sort of like trying to find them. Um, and so that was definitely, um, and like having them know sort of like at that same age definitely makes things more interesting. Um, and I think it also establishes like a good groundwork for sort of like establishing like that sort of teen, I want to say underground, but sort of like that teen like network of the MCU um, that I think really could be explored and definitely something that we'll talk about in the future. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll tease that teen MCU um, idea, like we've sort of discussed upon it now, um, but we'll definitely, like, hopefully it's an idea um, Marvel sort of goes into more in the future with their programming. Um, there's New Warriors, which they have, which still needs to find a home. I, Apparently, it's too good for platform uh, for free for. So they they keep the the the, the, sh- the showrunner and the cast. They keep um, <laughs> tweeting and Instagramming about the show like it's a real thing and how excited they are. But it's like, where's the news? Like, uh, I forget the actress who played Squirrel Girl, but she literally Malena cosplayed as Squirrel Trump. Girl. Yeah. yeah, but she was Squirrel Girl in at Comic Con, which I think is is adorable and amazing. But um, I don't know. It's it's like they are promoting a show that doesn't actually exist, which just feels really weird. So and I, I'm like, what? Tell me, tell me where it is. Where is it? Yeah. The show. Where is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, it's definitely. Um. I guess. Um. It's definitely like definitely an aspect that. You know, I would love for them to discover more, and I think like alongside Runaways, Kogan Dagger makes like a some like a strong like sort of step into sort of like establishing that direction. Um, and yeah, does anyone have any more final thoughts on just like how Kogan Dagger can sort of go forward? Get two? get better songs. Oh get better songs. <laughs> wait, regarding um the songs, so I think <laughs> this is something that's like really I find really funny because anyway so I'm a big 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 fan of Ellie Golding. she is legit one of my favorite pop mm-hmm. artists ever and I hate pop music like with a passion <laughs> um and so you know how <laughs> oh man this just like really drives home the whole like on the nose thing so you know how in the pilot or whenever they really fully reveal like the the car accident and then like um so Nathan and Tandy um, in the past, they drive off the bridge, go into the water, and that's how Nathan dies. And then, like, Billy, after being shot, falls into the water, and Tyrone dives after him. So that whole water moment, and then for a moment, they're dead in the water. Um, does anyone want to guess the name of the Ellie Golding song that they use in that very moment? Dead in dead the Water? It's called Dead in the Water. <laughs> <laughs> and so, And so when you watch this show on Hulu, um, that little, uh, like before, uh, when they do yeah. like the little intro, that is dead in the water. So I laugh every single time. It's oh. just so funny. Oh, no. <laughs> At least they didn't do a cover of Painted Black, like oh. the pilot of Inhumans. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, actually, I did to... have, I did have another last point that I forgot to mention. Um, it's regarding Teen MCU. One moment. Uh, (laughs) 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 A little interlude. Okay, hold on. Oh, yeah, okay. 
so regarding teen MCU and like how um, everything fits together really well, what I really appreciated about Cloak and Dagger was that um, it felt like same with Runaways. Like it felt like even though you didn't, if if you didn't watch any of the films at all, if you weren't interested in the MCU like at all, you could still come away with a little bit of knowledge um, to somewhat be invested in like, let's say watching the first Iron Man, because that's like, Mm -hmm. it it had that same aspect of like, okay, so it's kind of not really magical realism, but it's kind of um, fiction enough or like left of reality enough to be um, fantasy, but it's still pretty grounded to also feel real. Um, And so I'm also like I I really would love if they could ever do a crossover or or like maybe a stronger um a stronger nod to the show in Spider-Man Far From Home but um mm. one could only hope. Yes. Yeah. It's true. And I um I guess this is so I, I used to have this idea floating around, but just writing about the TMCU and just like what that perspective is, like teen IE, like you know the age range you've been talking about, like the entire like this entire episode. Um mm. but yeah, I think it's definitely like an idea that's feels a little bit more concrete now after Cloak and Dagger. And I think Cloak yeah, and just overall, like I guess we've all come to consensus that despite like you know, like despite like sort of how sometimes like overwhelming social commentary can be it's still you know really interesting like the ideas they put out there and or like i guess how they execute them um mm-hmm. and yeah there's definitely a lot more they can do in season two just creatively um improvement wise and i'd say we're all pretty excited yeah yeah yep um, i I don't know. I don't think I sound excited because I'm just I again I woke up like an hour ago. But uh, uh, the future is bright for the MCU. The <laughs> kids are the future. The kids are the future. <laughs> are the future. Teens are the future. Anthony Payone's gonna be uh, screaming that line into a microphone. Hopefully, <laughs> in a future episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I guess. This is, I guess, this is the socials portion. Um, Chris, what are your socials? <laughs> uh, you can find me at Compenderizer. Um, if you also want to find that uh, Runaways podcast I was talking about, uh, it's on. <coughs> excuse me, it's, it's under the label uh, Bad Haircut Productions, which is a little project I was working on. Uh, the series is very simply just called Runaways Recap. It's uh, ten episodes, uh, one for each episode. Uh, it's me and Raquel Katicha, uh, Izzy shows up in one episode, my sister shows up in one episode, uh, my friend Laura Berry is in the last episode, it's a, it's a very fun listen, you know, we, we just, we also just, like, talk about what's happening in our lives during that, and, uh, kind of talk about, we kind of dissect the different tropes of, uh, you know, your gossip girls and your OCs, but also, like, of Marvel shows, so we're kind of, like, educating each other on, like, what those shows are like, so it's a really fascinating dynamic, so... Runaways recap, bad haircut. Look for that if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Cool. My socials, you can find me on Instagram at sabrina.m4v, like the file extension for a video file because I do film. Haha. Mm. And then yeah. my Twitter handle is at Sabs Clark. 
So that's at S-A-B-S-C-L-A-R-K-E. You got to um, rebuild your following. Didn't you start a new Twitter account? I did. Like? It was yeah. painful because I told the truth on my old Twitter account. Because I created <laughs> it when I was 12. I was like six months away from being 13. And so my year was 96. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to be honest and like fess up to it. Literally a week and a half ago, I was like, all right, I'm going to change my birth year back to 97. And immediately they locked me out. They were like, you lied to us, Sabrina. We're, we're locking you out forever. <laughs> And I was like, okay, I'm sorry, okay. And then, oh I, just, my God. And then I had to make a new oh. one, so, yeah. Hashtag free Sabrina's Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hashtag yeah, free really. Sabrina's Twitter. Hashtag. Uh, all your followers. Hashtag, what was the uh, Jeff Loeb one? Stop Jeff Loeb. Stop Jeff Loeb, yeah. Hashtag Jeff free Sabrina's Twitter. Jeff Loeb is weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, sorry. If that's not. This time I would not... say cloak. Said the room, say dagger, cloak, dagger. Oh my god! We did it for you, Jeff. We love you. We love you, Jeff. Um, but also hashtag free Serena Twitter hashtag stop dev globe make it last. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I as always I am at um delirialin that is D E L I R I L Y N. Um. I haven't spelled in a while, which is why the hesitation. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much for tolerating an episode of me hosting and also just listening to the podcast. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Here's to ten more, ten Bye. plus more episodes. Woo! Happy ten. Yeah.